Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hey, everyone. Are you ready to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the sexy lifestyle is all about. David and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. We sure are. And you know we love talking and learning about everything related to sex and sexuality, sexual health, and of course, sexual pleasure. We love diving deep into the naughty, the taboo, and the unknown. And we hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex because, well, great sex matters. And we all deserve it. We sure do. So, have you ever felt like you were circling the drain, getting deeper and deeper into the abyss, wondering how you could ever find the inner strength to pull yourself out? Well, on today's show, we're going to hear all about a true life story of overcoming the odds and fighting the demons within to build a true, authentic life filled with love and respect. Hell yes. But first, and we have a really great guest for you today, first we want to tell you about our top waterproof blanket because great sex is messy sex, but nobody wants to sleep in that. That wet spot. So if you're fed up with having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need one of our top waterproof blankets. It's 100% waterproof and leak-proof, and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry, no matter how wet it gets. From messy massage oils or silicone lubes to all sorts of sexy wetness, just throw it in the washer and dryer, and it comes out looking like brand new. And you don't have to leave your house to get one. Simply and safely go to Amazon and order yours today. Search Top Waterproof Blanket. That's T-O-P, Waterproof Blanket. Great sex starts now. Sure does, and so does today's show. You know, we're Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle, and we are so excited to welcome today's special guest. Speaker, author, and national bodybuilder, Jules is a sexual abuse survivor from a very young age who is definitely not your average girl. Definitely not your average girl. We're going to hear all about it. Jules, welcome to The Sexy Lifestyle. Thanks for taking time out of your busy day. Congratulations on your most recent third place finish in the national championships. And we're so excited to be talking to you about your new and upcoming book. This is awesome. I've been waiting to sit down and chat with you guys for a while. So yes, I'm super excited to be here. And I guess we could start off by you telling us about your championship last week. Go ahead. Tell the world. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I am still gloating. So if, if, pardon the smiles at every question. Um, yeah, I, I think it was right around the age of 40. Uh, I had decided that I was just exhausted with fighting the internal challenges, I guess, with the way my body looked and, and more in particular, we <laughs> happened to be the cellulite on my thighs. I mean, there are procedures galore as us women are t- constantly struggling with this. And so this journey started there. And that was my goal. And so that was nine years ago. And little did I know when I went in to start there that it would completely go to this point. Uh, Over the weekend, I... uh, Better yet, last year I qualified for nationals at a regional level uh, within the state of Texas, and that meant then I was able qualified to go on to a national a national show, which was held in Pittsburgh. And so, over the weekend, I went up against some of the most amazing athletes, beautiful, very very conditioned women, and I went up on stage. And the most spectacular part of this story is that we were doing, you know, seventh place, sixth place you know, fifth place. And I'm thinking, they haven't called my number yet. And then I'm thinking they go fourth place. And I just, oh my God, I'm in the top three of a national show. And so I'm telling you, I had to skip across that stage. I I mean, it didn't matter. I was so excited to even be on the stage, but then I was completely elated by the idea that I got to uh, you know, actually placed within that caliber. Yeah, That was my weekend. Well, it's a great way to start because this is like, you know, the end of the book, you know, the, the success and the celebration from what has been really a really tough journey that you've gone through through your whole life. So why don't you tell us a little bit in, in a compact form, uh, your background and why you decided to write the book, The Making of a Woman from the inside out you know I I started within a very 
just I, I, I came from a very dysfunctional family. It was in the 70s when my mom, I'm sure within, you know, being a, a woman within that era, had very limited options um, after uh, a, a very rough ending with my biological father. She quickly had to rebound into a next relationship in order to keep her head afloat. My mom was very prideful in those days. And the idea of taking, you know, some sort of assistance was completely out of the question. And and so we married into a very large family, and little did we know at that time, it was extremely dysfunctional, very incestuous, and there was a, just a lot of trauma. And so um, that was my upbringing, and I kind of got lost in all that. I mean, one, you know, once one side, I'm a, I'm an only child, and I'm adored, and then I'm plopped within the pool of kids, and we don't have voices. We were meant to be seen and not heard. I mean, just this whole new identity. And then confused, angry, very, very angry, I revolted. And so I got the option of, we'll say the option, mm -hmm. of uh, dropping out in ninth grade. And I took that free get out of jail card. Wow. And, uh, and I plunged into, we'll say, adulthood with childlike um, behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so I quickly uh, fell deeper into the depths of my disease of alcoholism. Um, my my first biological father that was uh, very much struggled within his disease uh, of alcoholism. And so that was a tool that I acquired as I went through and tried to get my feet underneath me and try to just be my own boss and really pretty much just get away from all of it. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it was bumpy. I had no guidance. <laughs> I was growing up while I was trying to be an adult. Mm -hmm. And I made some terrible decisions. I made some good decisions. Um, but I think looking back, I got sober when I was 35 years old. Wow. So that was being like dropped in the middle of, I call it planet sober. I don't know the rules. I don't know where I fit in. It, 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 I just I knew nothing, and so I started to mirror a lot of what was around me. And the beautiful thing was, it was in the rooms of recovery where I got to do that. So thank God I got on track. But yeah, this is not. It was not an easy stretch by all means. But that's where I really realized that there was something bigger than me navigating me. Mm. Even though I was kicking and screaming like a, you know, a 15 year old kid out there, there was something that pulled me back up, brushed me off and moved me on to the next scenario. Whatever it was, that's what saved my life. And now I actually, you know, I recognize it and praise it. And but... when did you start writing the book and how long did it take you to put all this down on paper and tell your story? You know, in college, I had a, a friend who was like, you have got to write a book, girl. And, you know, the stories of my lifestyle has always been elaborate. So it was just like, this is what life is. It's not a big deal. And so over the course of sobriety, I've done things like put my timeline together. Because let's face it, drinking has a lot of blackouts mm -hmm. and probably a lot of things I didn't want to remember. So um, it was actually the beginning part of this year where we put uh, pen to paper and um, and I started working with Marlena. And we put that, we put this whole baby together in six months. Wow. Very we cool. worked every week. And what's the we official had, launch yep. date of your book? It's going to a launch actually on October 5th. Beautiful. Wonderful. Very yeah. Cool. So it's right around the corner. Yeah. Now you, you were just talking about the disease you had with respect to alcoholism, but in your book you get into um, as of the age of 12, you were sexually abused and every family um, household you went into, um, they took advantage of you, and then you went into the world of stripping and you became a dominatrix. Let's talk a little bit about that and how that affected you trauma-wise and, and brought you to where you are today. Yeah, you know, when you when you put it that way, it's almost like I've came from one side of the spectrum all the way over to the other side. I mean, on one side, I had no control. I had no idea. And I think right around that, the, the you know, the, the topless dancing, right around that era is where I started to realize, like, holy crap, I've got some I got some power in this game. Mm -hmm. Right. So I ran with that. That was the first time. I think that's part of the healing process, too. Right. And then as I, you know, evolved and then shifted into more of the femdom, then I started to realize the dynamic between me and men 
and it wasn't as I learned initially. So it was like I unlearned it. So then now I'm no longer, uh, you know, someone who has to control this whole thing for my pleasure. As a femdom, I was able to meet men at this equal space and, and then enjoy the energies between the two of us. So it kind of balanced out a little bit. And how bit. long did you do that for? Because I can, I understand that what you were saying is a little bit of a healing process. But how long yeah. were you doing that where you were in control of the situation and, and did it help you to heal? I think starting at the, the dancer stage. And that actually went all the way up until I just, I met my husband seven years ago. <laughs> That's okay. Cool. That's so, cool. Yeah. Yeah. The healing process, it is not textbook, Mm-mm. totally not textbook. And so, um, yeah, exactly. It was, you know, the people that came into my life, it was a process. It was going to workshops. It was sitting down talking with other women. It was just a multitude of things. Wow. That's nice. And I know you just mentioned your husband, but where did you guys meet? Can you believe this? We met online. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> we met on OKCupid. Okay yeah. And uh, real quick on that is uh, on the on that particular website, you list your things you can't live without. And me being in recovery, I put HP. That was like my, my higher power. This is the thing I cannot live without. And uh, and my husband at the time looked at the profiles and he read that. Holy crap, this woman cannot live without her Hewlett Packard. <laughs> I am marrying her. And that's where our story began. <laughs> oh, that's a funny story. Now you talk you talk about that you live a different lifestyle and um I guess the question we need to ask is, you know, and, and you you talk about it in your book, is it ethical? I believe that authentic being authentic is what keeps me ethical. If if for me, I focused on things that were authentic within me. During my recovery of many things, I've had to unlearn what society tells me is correct, right? As a woman, I'm supposed to dress like this. As a, a dropout, I'm supposed to act like this. As an alcoholic, I'm supposed to act like this. I had to unlearn a lot of that. And what that allowed me to do was turn inward and really do an inventory of what who I am and what really works for me. And then ultimately the courage to be able to share that with my partner and the people within my circle. Mm-hmm. And continue to do the things that maybe society doesn't find ethical or isn't correct or whatever. But if it works for you, then you have to have mm-hmm. that. You have to be brave and do and continue to do those things that work for you and not worry about what society says. I completely agree. Because if you think about it, if I'm told that I can't do something, that is ornate within me. <laughs> okay, well, it's going to come out sideways. Right. I mean, right. That, that that's kind of what happens in the world around me. If I can't be 100% myself, well, then I'm going to try to shove it down and it's going to come out in some other form. Now we, and I just don't, I choose not to live that way anymore. Perfect. Yeah, we, I mean, we find a similar thing where society tells us that the swinging lifestyle, exchanging partners, even though it's consensual non-monogamy, that a lot of society puts puts us down because that's not what uh, the constructs say are the right the norm, thing to yeah. do exactly mm-hmm. so yeah i kind of get your i get you when you say that you have to do the things that are good for you you have to take that inventory and find out what that is and live that authentic life mhm and that takes courage mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And going through this yeah. journey, you must have come across people, TV, newspapers, movies that inspired you. Who are some of those people? You know, I looked at some because I had little, little to zero role models. <laughs> we where we lived, there weren't, uh, there was not a lot of uh, miraculous people, <laughs> and so I would always admire women like. Sophia Lorenz. Mm. She is like this most poised, beautiful, sexual woman, yet super powerful. Uh, I, I appreciate Oprah's story and where she came from and what was against her and what she's been able to do. These are phenomenal women, just two that come to mind, that if I could just have them as girlfriends and ask questions, like, how did you do that? I mean, that's what I'm hoping to do with this book is to connect some of us. Cool. We're going to get into your book a lot more in the next uh, segment. 
but you know, uh, you, you've had such an amazing journey. I mean, I, I sat down, I'm not a, a reader, but I sat down and, and read your book for like two, three hours on end. I couldn't put it down. It was definitely a wow. page turner because um, it was almost like one of those shows on Netflix where it's like, this can't be true. How could someone <laughs> live through this stuff? So um, we'll talk about your book in a bit, but I, I'd like to know, like, what was the turning point in your life where you said, holy shit, I need to be doing and being and living like something different? I think that holy shit moment wasn't even of my choosing. That's the crazy part about it. I was going along doing my thing. I was bouncing on the bottom. You know, I was hitting bottom, as we say in the worms. Um, and I was sitting in the back seat of like a blazer, we'll say. And I made a comment, a nonchalant comment saying, I just wish I didn't drink so much. And the two people in the front seat, their little ears went up like antennas. I kid you not, within 30 minutes, they had me in the rooms of recovery. This huge, gigantic room, stuffy room of uh, lots of people. I had no idea who they were or who they were and why we were there. But it just felt safe. And that is really where it started, we'll say, because I've never gone back out there. It, no interest to go back out there. <laughs> it, it's incredible the the way you describe your um, meeting these two gentlemen, how they bring you to AA um, how you get involved in um, learning what has to be done. And then you become one of those people that talk to the people who are coming in. You become like a little mentor. That must have felt like so um, inspiring and, and aw awesome, the fact that you came in as someone who needed help and now you're giving back. I think that's part of that growing up process, right? Like I am now valued almost like as a sober adult, which means now that I have some experience and that's all I'm doing is I'm sharing what I did. Simple as that, but you're right. That was a huge turning point. And it also showed me that, that I had learned something and I do have something here. And do you still participate so, in those um, uh, weekly meetings? I don't do them weekly, but I definitely, all of my friends are within the rooms of recovery. Um, and so, yes, we do meetings remotely a lot of times, but yeah, in person from time to time as well. COVID's been a little rough on us. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. I can only imagine, but I'm glad that you're still there and still helping others as well. And anybody out there who's listening to our show, if you don't know, you don't, you don't know where to get help, just find your local Alcoholics Anonymous AA. And um, there's always people like Jules and, and mm -hmm. many other people out there who'll be there to be your support and help. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's great. We're just going to hang on for a second and remind everybody that this is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and we're going to be right back after a word from one of our sponsors. Just stay right, right there. All right. So here's some exciting news. We are so excited to announce our new partnership with Topless Travel. Topless Travel has been around for many years and puts on the most sexy, fun, and erotic events at some of the world's sexiest venues. From the Bliss Cruises to Desire in Cancun and Hedonism in Jamaica, Topless Travel offers a multitude of new and exciting adventures to stimulate all your desires. We'll have lots more to tell you in our upcoming shows, so stay tuned. For more information about all their open-minded events, simply go to thesexylifestyle.com and book the sexiest vacation ever. All right, we're back. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and we are chatting with Jules, who is author of The Making of a Woman from Inside Out. And now um, we're going to get into your book a little bit. I know um, it's going to be released very shortly. So um, how long did it take you to write it? I think you just said six months. Um, but how has it changed you, putting all this stuff down, thinking about all these lifelong experiences? Almost reliving the yeah. experiences again. How did that feel? Yeah, some of those weeks, some of those weeks during those beginning chapters were really difficult because I used pictures out of the picture box to be able to put together that timeline, which means I had to, you know, physically look at that person again or be back into, you know, that that particular house or something. So some of those weeks were really tough. I really um you know, I would meditate. I would spend that time in stillness. I made sure I was connected. So I just kind of prepared myself through that. 
but yeah, um, some was, of them were a little was bit. some of that dra- trauma brought back up again uh, while you were revisiting those scenes in your mind? You know, I've done a lot of work. I've done a lot of work and I'm grateful for that. So uh, when I did uh, relive some of the things, um, I relived them more so as factual instead of through emotions. So that tells me the healing process is working. And and in your, in your book, when you, there's one chapter where you talk about, um, I think it's, it's uh, your mom when she was with Robert, right? And, Mm -hmm. and, um, the sons and the people who were just abusing you sexually and you you go through it and you describe some of the scenes where you were just like, I'm just like a doll there and they're just abusing me and taking advantage of me. It was so, um, like I had goosebumps. I almost had tears in my eyes because Mm -hmm. I felt for you though. The words you used to describe those situations were very powerful. Mm -hmm. And that's really, as we as we put these things together, that's what I wanted is I wanted you to be able to feel what I was talking about, what I was feeling. I didn't want to do statistics. Everybody knows this, you know, I wanted you to know what it felt like, you know, as I mentioned about going down into the basement by yourself. I mean, we've all done that. It's dark. You can, it's cold. You just, that's what I wanted people to be able to relate with me. Because let's face it, when we're going through it, it's all feelings. Yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. if you can share those feelings, then obviously you don't want people to feel bad like that for you, but feel the empathy and the compassion uh, for others who might be going through it, who then they could help them mm-hmm. uh, recover as well. And the, and the book goes through your journey um, through the rape that you experience, the violence, the drugs, the alcoholism. And, and those are, are events that shaped you um as you wrote the book you know you you how do you want the readers or what do you want the readers of your book to get out of it just like as we were talking about what it feels like what other the compassion we just spoke about as you go through as one goes through something like this you think you are the only one okay so imagine that you are the only one that thinks that feels this way then my thing I want to do by telling things in that raw detail is I want that girl to know she feels this way too. That's key right there. That's who the person I'm reaching out to because it is a very long, cold, scary journey because you don't think anybody else has ever been there. Or anybody else cares uh, to help you kind of thing. Totally. Because let's face it, we keep it on the inside. Mm-hmm. That's the way I'm taught. I'm supposed to make it look like everything's okay. Mm-hmm, exactly. Now, I know that maybe it's going to come up in your book, but um, I don't want to give away the ending, of course. <laughs> but did those people who harmed you, did they pay? You know, did they no, have a justice for them? You know, everybody meets their maker, I think is one of the verbiages we use. Um, everybody has a contract with their God. And that's the, that's the way I was able that's the way I was able to forgive because really I, the court system, it was too late. Mm. There's, there's the statute of limitations. Um, there's, you know, to get in all of that pretty much gave the power to somebody else. Yeah. yeah. And I really just didn't want to get caught up in somebody else's like shitstorm. to be very honest. And so it's like, you know, and even what happens if they did, you know, get in trouble for it. Okay. Well, I'm still left with me. Right. right, right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I really, I just put all that effort into finding, finding my okayness with mm-hmm. it. And do you think that your goal of getting your word out and hoping that you will be able to um, help or save others who are in your same position, is that, do you think that's working? Do you think it's going to, do you think it's going to work? I think it's the most powerful approach. Right, right. Absolutely. Because we have enough people. Oops, I almost went into some politics there. Um, we have enough people telling us what I'm supposed to be doing. I've got enough dictators in the world. We've got enough chiefs. What I need to do is be able to, again, the healing takes place between two people who understand that experience. That's why the Rooms of Recovery works. There's no president in there. Yeah. <laughs> and, and is one of the reasons, or is the main reason you wrote the book, was it to help yourself get through your trauma or was it because you want to be out there and hopefully help other people who are in it or to uh, prevent them from getting into it? 
It's the latter. Mm-hmm. I've done my work. I've done my work. That's why I could write the book. That's why it's not a just a book full of tears and agony. You know, I've done I've done the healing. And so what I'm hoping to do again is so much of my story was I'm just this little frail girl in the back of the room and nobody even knows I'm here. That's what I'm trying to fix. And now That's you're standing what I'm trying on to. a stage with a third place uh, <laughs> in a bodybuilding competition. That's awesome. And she wrote a book. Yes. You know, here now she's a, she's going to be a successful author. She's a, success, a successful bodybuilder. And she's been in a relationship for seven years. Yeah, like, how cool is that? There's always light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. Now, 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 you talk about, or, or you have a, um, a couple of talking points about how the book is going to bridge the gap of communication. How is, how is that going to work with people who read through the book? You know, what's interesting is that I learned this along the way, which is another beautiful gift. My intention was to share my story. Marlene and I were going to put together the perfect words and we were going to send it out to the world. Right. But what I realized is even working with Marlena, she was like, holy crap, Jules, do you realize as a mother, I now understand this or as a daughter, I can now get this. So it's happening on so many other levels than I had even imagined. So that's that was very um, encouraging for me, because even like when we look at things such as, you know, same sex marriages or or even alcoholism. I mean, today, everybody pretty much can say, I know somebody who is in recovery or I knew somebody who struggled with this. Right. Some of the things are more at the surface today, which now I'm hoping that. By bringing some of this out into the into the you know into the light, that that's going to also take take effect. Yeah, and start a dialogue with uh, other people. It's one of those things like the topic of sex. People just don't talk about abuse. They don't. No. It's not a com- common conversation. So maybe it will open up some dialogue um, because there's all sorts of types of of abuse out there that maybe people can just relate, whether they've had it or they knew somebody who had it, but they could relate and maybe help out too. And it's not just abuse. It's that trauma that you have early on in your life that if you don't deal with it, it's going to be there forever. We have we had a friend mm-hmm. on our show who also wrote a book about uh, trauma and her father abusing her sexually. And uh, we've had so many guests on our show where they either had sexual abuse or they had physical abuse or they had um, bullying. And yeah, it stayed with them until they were able to... And ex- most, most of them, it was in their 30s and yeah. 40s that they finally found yeah. a way to, to say, fuck, I can't live with this anymore. Right, I, right. I, I need to find some way to get it. It never goes away, right, Jules? It takes on a different shape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can imagine mm-hmm. that. It doesn't have the power. Yeah. Like I was saying, it's more factual than it is emotional. And the type because of, when you heal trauma, that's what happens. And the type of healing that you did, did you do energy work? Did you do therapy? How, what kind of training did you have? All of the above. Okay. <laughs> and that was one of the cool things too, is that I became very, very mindful. Like what was source bringing to me? And I say source is this higher power, this, you know, whatever that big thing was, you know, like, cause I would, you know, I would meet people who would be like, holy crap, she had the answers to every question. I, where, where did she come from? Mm. Right. I clearly didn't ask, you know, I didn't ask her to come here or a particular book that would come by, you know. So I've done uh, theta healing. Um, I have done I've worked out at the Meadows where we worked with childhood trauma. You know, Hazelden has got some great weekend programs. You know, anytime they cross my path and, and it was an option, I went for it. Um, yeah, uh, absolutely. And the thing that um, what I understand from trauma healing is that it, it, it continues. You like you you want to continue with it because your person continues to grow, and you don't ever want that to come back, if you want to call it that. And that you continue mm-hmm. doing your own work, whether it's with professionals or with your groups or not. But you're constantly working at yourself, which is what we all should be doing. And we have a, a saying. It's called peeling the onion back. And that's really what it is. You know, all this trauma, it's stored. It's the body remembers. I think there's a book called that, right? Mm -hmm. The body remembers. That's where that trauma is stored. And the emotions are what makes this, you know, this onion peel back. 
and and then you just take it piecemeal, just a little bit at a time, right? It's like you just do what's right in front of you, and, and it's tangible. But yeah, you get to the point where you're like, okay, you know what? I am tired of you being there. Like that roadblock or whatever, jealousy, whatever it may be. Like insecurity is like, all right, listen, baby, we're going to sit down. We're going to do some, you're out of here. Like I'm done fighting with you. You know, so it's kind of takes on a little bit more of a comical approach. (laughs) And so when you present your book to the world and you, are you going to be doing tours? Are you going to be doing speaking engagements with your book as it launches? Yes. Again, I'm open. I'm open to whatever, whatever's brought to me. We have a a fabulous book launch party coming up at the end of September. I'm going to do some guest speaking, of course, book signings and those sorts of things. So I'm really looking forward to once the book actually launches and people can have it in their hands. I think that's really where I'm going to see the effects mm-hmm. of, of bringing this book into into realism. It's very cool. And I hope everybody does put it in their hands because we actually have it. We've had it for a Yay! couple of weeks and we've read the book. And <laughs> it is really, like I said, a page turner. But, mm-hmm. you know, the next question I have for you is now that you've finished the book, how do you see the rest of your life evolving? Like what are some other goals and things you want to do and experience? You know, what has come to surface right now is being in the lifestyle with this template, right? With with this upbringing, with this healing, with this recovery. I come into the lifestyle and I am, I'm faced with things that I had never expected, right? And I had a lot of it, this feeling where I had to almost put on this mask and fit into a box, right? Like my husband likes ABC. And I just felt like, well, this is what I'm supposed to do, right? This non-authentic person. And so for me, it was it, what I'm finding now is like, hey, let's go in here a little bit. What does this room have to offer? Because I've got, I've got a lot of questions. You know, we claim that it's very female-led, but is it? You know, so I, I have some of those questions. So, so you're, 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 you're talking about the lifestyle, and I know you've been in the kink and BDSM world, and we live in the swinging lifestyle world. Um, do you cross both of those over, or do you prefer one over the other? And the, the swinging lifestyle is what I'm referring to right now. Yep. Uh, BDSM lifestyle, that is, yeah, that's a whole entity of itself. It is. For me, they don't cross. I mean, as a femdom, um, <laughs> giving it away is not really, that's complete opposite of what we do within the BDSM world. Um, but that was one of the gifts of my marriage is that I got to do that. I got to step over into this other entity with somebody I trusted and try things that I never felt safe doing. So I'm very so. curious about your remark that um, you, you still question whether the lifestyle, the swinging lifestyle is led by women. And of course, you have a very different point of view about men and about your role in life. I'm dying to hear what you've either discovered right. or concluded about whether women are leading in the lifestyle. Uh, you know, I take a very small sample <laughs> right, of just the, the people that I've been drawn to, who've been drawn to me. I have really, I've really witnessed a lot of um, suggestive husbands who really push forward the idea that, for instance, that they're bisexual. And when the rubber hits the road, they're they're not bisexual. Mm-hmm. I'm a bisexual woman. I know if somebody is bisexual, um, and that has happened a lot. And it's it's a terrible space for me to be in. It's a terrible space for her to be in, mm. you know, but is it, what is the motive? You so know, what, you what feel that the husband is encouraging the wife um, to try something like by uh, bisexually that maybe she's not comfortable. And so it's, it's, it's more like he's encouraging her rather than her encouraging herself. Exactly. Oh. And for his own, ah, his own motive. But he wants to see girl on girl, for example. Or he wants to be with me. Oh, I got you. That's very interesting. You know what I'm saying? That's very interesting. I mean, we've been swingers for 15 years and we've been to, I mean, you're in Texas and there's Colette's Clubs. We know John and Jackie super, super well. Um, Ah. We've been to Desire and Hedonism and Temptation and the Cruises. And um, we, we do find that the majority of people are very honest 
and are very mm. authentic. And even someone like Carol, who's not bi-curious, not bisexual. I'm a little bit bi-selfish, you know, when it happens to be when I'm in the mood. Uh, not encouraged by David, but just because I'm encouraged to do it on my own. Bi-situational. Yeah, bi-situational. But oh, there you go. That, yeah. at the beginning, I think I did need a little bit of encouragement because maybe he knew that I wanted to do it, but I was always hesitant to do it because I didn't think I was going to do a good job. For me, I'm like mm. a perfectionist. I like to do it 100%. I hate the, <laughs> the, the learning process, you know, I didn't want to be seen. Well, the, 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 first the, time, the first time you went down on a girl, we did it together. I know, because he knew that I really didn't <gasps> know what was to do. That? It was amazing. Yeah. And we went down and we were on, on vacation and it was uh, one of our friends. And um, I was licking her pussy. And then I said to Carol, come on, come with me. And we were both yeah. licking her and finging her and playing with her. And then Carol finally got into it. And the girl was like moaning and groaning. And I backed away and I let Carol finish to the point where she actually got the girl to squirt and then have an orgasm. Right. Wow. But I, Very I nice. still did need a little bit of encouragement from David from time to time because he knew what I would I was what I wanted to do, but he knew kind of what my hesitations were and my insecurities were. So I didn't mind mm -hmm. that. Um, but you're also really good at asking. So you were asking, you know, does this feel good? And she was saying, this feels good. And, you know, yeah. swingers are great communicators. Well, I kept saying, I don't know if I'm doing this right. You let me know, right? <laughs> I was having fun with it. Yeah, and you know? it's the same thing with, yeah. with giving a blowjob. Yeah. You know, guys have to tell girls what they like because when you play in the lifestyle, you do experience lots of cocks and lots of pussies. And everybody likes it a little bit different. Have you experienced that, Jules? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we go to Desire. That's one of our fun mm -hmm. spots we get to go. And there, I mean, there are no, no norms, right? right? Um, we've traveled the, the world and we've noticed that, you know, in France, it's completely different than it is in Texas. You know, the mm -hmm. approach, the everything is, heck, even the language. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but, but um yeah, I mean, everybody likes things a little bit differently. I learned that actually as a femdom, you know, it's like I, I have just, you know, samples of these amazing men who had come to me and what feels good to one man does not necessarily feel good to the other man. Yeah, yeah, no, that's for sure. And yeah. that's okay. That's a good thing in life that we have some variety. One of the reasons you okay. want to be with another man, otherwise you just stay with your husband is because he's a little <laughs> bit different and likes things a little bit differently, which is fun. I think that's a good challenge. And I, I, like, I like, I like the fact, and I mean, we've experienced uh, hundreds of different um, scenarios and Carol is always up front when we start talking to a couple um, whether they're um, acquaintances or at a club um, she's very upfront saying I'm normally not into girls and mm -hmm. I love hard cock give me as many cocks as you want and <laughs> then you know if the people are right and the personality is there and the situation is right then things might evolve into something but there's no um, well, I try to make it clear that I'm not there for the women. I'm there for the men. But it doesn't mean mm -hmm. I don't want to play with the women, too. You know, like I'm not bisexual per se. Uh, however, I like beautiful, soft women and touching kissing. them and kissing mm -hmm. them and playing with them and pleasing them, too. And there's no way but I would. feels When it feels right, though. Right, and there's no mm -hmm. way I would say to another couple that my wife is into X when she isn't. Right. And it's mm -hmm. too bad if you have experienced right. that. It is definitely too bad. And people out there, don't do that. That's not fun. This mm, that's is, right. It's no, it's not fun, fun at all. I know. <laughs> and we love couples that the woman says, I am not into women. I am straight into guys. So you know clear. where they stand. Yeah. It's clear. It's very, very yeah. clear. Yeah. And it's not to say yeah. that the two girls aren't going to kiss. But the, the, the scene, the, the sexual experience we're going to have isn't about the girls playing together. It's about what's good for the girls and their sexual preferences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And whatever that may be if in that minute, right? Exactly. right? Exactly. And to be able to follow that. And, totally. And I just want to reemphasize the fact that just like Jules says, when it's not true, it's so obvious. It's not like you can fake <laughs> exactly. that someone's bisexual. Oh it's God. so obvious. Don't pretend. Yeah. You'll get called out. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're having a whole lot of fun. We got right into your book. We got right into all the things that you expect to have, um, you know, coming out when your book launches. Um, but we yeah. did diverge a little bit into the lifestyle, which is always fun. And we're going to get more into that in the next segment, The Great Sex Matters. We'll just got to remind everybody again, we're having a great discussion with Jules, the author of The Making of a Woman from the Inside Out. But we're going to come back 
to our favorite segment, Great Sex Matters. Stay right there. We're still here. You know, this is the part of the show where I get to talk about one of our favorite places on the planet, which is Hito 2. <laughs> In Jamaica, um, it is where we love to hang naked on the beach. Last winter, we were there for 89 days. Absolutely fantastic. Um, It is the sexiest place on earth where you can be as mild or as wild as you like. And this year, it is Hito's 40th anniversary. And it's coming up real soon. It's October 30th to November 6th. Come, come, come and join us there for a week. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. For more information about this or any other trips, you can go to thesexylifestyle.com, click on the Hedo link, and you can book the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever. It is possible that this week is going to be sold out, but every week of the year is fantastic at Hedo, so just go and see what's happening there. And if you're looking for an open-minded online community to find compatible people and events, you can go to sdc.com and use a promo code 30314 to get your first month free. So check it out. Absolutely. All righty. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David. And now it is time for our favorite part of the show where we get to talk about great sex because... Well, great sex matters and we all deserve it. We absolutely do. And Jules, this is where we get down and dirty with our guests. No holds barred. Uh, We're going to talk about orgasms and fantasies and sexual pleasure. But the first and most important question is... You know, during the first part of your life, you dealt with a whole bunch of traumas, sexual trauma, sexual abuse. Have you now been able to find great sex with your partner? Absolutely. I find great sex with myself first. Excellent. That's really where my journey began is to like turn inward. Look, what do we have here? What makes me feel good? What doesn't make me feel good? Again, unlearning. I unlearned a lot of stuff. (laughs) But self-pleasuring is so important. We've had so many guests on our show that talk about it. Yeah, one of the things that I had an issue with when I was younger um, was actually I wanted to give. I was the giver. And I had a hard time allowing my partner to pleasure me. And it was only really when I started doing masturbation and making my and learning more about my own body that I felt comfortable enough just to lay back and take all the beautiful pleasure that my partner wanted to give me. Um, Because of some trauma that you have, did you experience anything like that? It was a little bit of a lead up. I had to, uh, for me, I needed to be able to actually connect with my body. There's a lot of disassociation that takes place in trauma. And so just little things like even starting to look at yourself in the mirror from the head to the toes, you know, Um, but things that really, really were were effective for me was that self-care. And I don't like that kind of word, but um, the, the, for me, it was drawing the bath, having those scented candles, like stimulating all of all of my senses, you know, because as a woman, I'm very textile. I'm very emotional. I like the flow with things. And so I really activated that. I started looking at the clothing I was putting on my body. Am I covering it up? Am I accentuating it? How does that actually feel against my skin? You know, it had to go into a little bit more detail. And then as I, you know, stepped out and, you know, what would I wear when I would go to the clubs? Did I feel sexy wearing it? A lot of things is like, that does not feel sexy on me, but that does, you know, what kind of heels? Did you do those observations while you were in the healing process? Or is that something you discovered on your own with your own self? I just discovered that on my own. I do a lot of meditation. I do a lot of that sitting in stillness. And some of the meditations or what that I've done have been on learning the divine feminine, learning that authentic feminine energy. And I was able to capture a lot of that because I didn't have that growing up. Yeah. A lot of women do suffer the fact that they don't feel sexy. That's one of the things that's very common. And a lot of sexologists deal with that or couples therapy deal with that. I don't feel sexy anymore. I don't think that my husband finds me sexy anymore. So give us a few things that exercises that perhaps are some advice that women can do, like you just mentioned, um, but like they're not going to clubs because maybe perhaps they're not swingers. Yeah, just to feel sexy. To feel sexy. What would you suggest? You know, it is the little things for me, particularly, I love like even before we sat down here, I put some perfume on because that is something that makes me feel sexy. You know, sliding a pair of heels on (laughs) that automatically you are what you wear. Right. So that will automatically change it for me. Um, And again, my baths are very important, but silky things 
are, you know, like I had asked a woman one time, I'm like, so what do you, when she said, I don't feel sexy anymore. I said, so what do you wear to bed? She's like my husband's t-shirt. I said, well, that's not sexy. That's not going to make me feel sexy. You're not going to look sexy. I mean, it's this whole, this whole energy. Um, so and it could be something as small as a silky pair of panties or garters underneath. You wear garters underneath a skirt to, to work one day. Your whole day is completely different. Or, completely not, or not wear different. panties to work one day. And that is even better. That's good at dinner. Yes. <laughs> yes. Even shopping. You so, know, you go to the mall and take your panties off and wear a short skirt. Not that you're going to show anything. Believe me. Just, but you, just feel yeah. it. You've always yeah. said that when we're getting ready to go on a date, on a play date or going to a club and you're getting dressed sexy, just in while you're getting ready, your pussy what, is getting wet. I know. I come out of the shower yeah. and I'm doing my hair and my face and... You know, and I know already I've usually selected. I'm getting hard just thinking about this. <laughs> I've usually selected already what I'm going to put on, but I'm still naked just putting on my makeup and doing my hair. I'm already getting wet for sure. Just thinking about it, just feeling it. So I get that. Yeah. Totally being in that moment, like putting lotion on your, it's like you're stimulating all of the skin. That's what it's for. It's for pleasure. You know, Absolutely. yeah, to become mindful of that instead of just slopping things on, pulling your hair back in a ponytail and heading out the door. So what, state, what stage of rediscovering your body were you in when you met your current husband? I was a very, very staunch femdom. I was a professional. Uh, I wore, <laughs> you could see some of these posts on Instagram. I mean, I, I had jet black hair. Jet black hair. I wore my suits were, you know, starched. I was just very like almost militant. It was <laughs> I had this protocol. Um, yeah. In fact, when I went out on that first date with him, it was more of kind of like, oh, you want to try this, do you? <laughs> I mean, that was more my mindset. Like, oh, this is gonna be fun, you know. <laughs> so uh, a totally different person than um, I'm sitting here with you today. And, and, and are you now, um, do you prefer to give pleasure or do you prefer to receive pleasure? I think it's mutual. Oh, good, yeah. I am one of those people who... I don't like the boxes, right? So what I like is the energy of a person. And I think that's why being drawn to women, because women are very touchy-feely and they're very open. And so with, say, particularly with a woman, it's like, I can just flow with her. I can wrap my body around her. I can kiss on her. This is being experienced by both of us, Mm -hmm. right? There's giving and receiving. So I, I guess if we go more into the physical realm of giving or receiving, um, I, 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 I'm, I love to give. I love to see my partner. I love to see them with their eyes rolled in the back of their head. <laughs> when, when, when Carol and I first met, and it happens every once in a while now, Carol is an absolute giver. She loves giving head. She loves sucking cock. On the other mm-hmm. side, I love eating pussy. I love going down so on her. So 69 works pretty good it for us. It works great. <laughs> but, but at the beginning, it was like, it's okay, hon. I want to do you. It's like, no, no, no. I want to suck your cock. <laughs> and I mean, I mean, th- those are good, fun, sexual experiences to have. But we've learned yeah. over the years how to read each other's bodies and to give each other a little bit of both. And... Um, it, it just makes, like Carol says, 69 is fantastic because it works for, for both of us. Uh-huh. So you've gone through this whole journey. I'm going to get into another little bit more serious question. You've gone through this whole sexual journey. Do you remember once you had that oh shit moment and you got through AA and you finally started getting your life together when you had your first intimate sexual experience that was really all about you? Ah... Uh. I am thinking back, and again, this was with a woman. This was with a woman. That first time when what I just explained, that whole energetic flow, that actually, for whatever reason it may be, that that was it. And it was the safety and the feeling of like her hands and the coconut oil on my legs and and just this whole unity that took place. There was nothing jarring. There was nothing awkward. There was no like uh, that kind of feeling. Um, and, and yeah, it was very fluid. 
it was just very fluid. And when you were in the um, moment there, did she get you to the point where you just had this massive orgasm? Well, she actually got to the point where she was able to put her fist within me. Oh, nice. That's always Which is super, <laughs> you know, and that for me is super hot because, and I don't know if that's on that receiving mindset. I don't, again, I don't care. Um, so I'm just letting, you know, to be able to take something to that degree and the weight of it and the whole, I mean, it's like, that's the only part of my body that I can feel in a sense is just that, that stretching and that's, oh, and the coconut oil. And so, yes, there was a, there was an orgasm or two in maybe, that moment. Maybe more. I was about to say so, multiple. So, Car- so Carol's been fisted before. How did it feel? It was also a woman who fisted me. Her, I think with the smaller hands, I mean, David cannot get his hand easily into me. And I've we've tried We've it. tried um, but he just those extra yeah. knuckles sticking out the side um, of a man's a man's hand. Um, it's it's friggin' awesome. I mean, I loved it, loved it. And yes, there was multiple orgasms and, and squirting. multiple squirting, and just mm-hmm. the visual. I didn't let that that visual of that whole fist. I have a picture of it, her in there, up to the middle of her forearm. Yeah, that whole visual yeah. of that yeah. is just different or exciting or oh, I don't know. It's uh, something that you can never forget. And it's not, it's not of the mainstream. No, right. right? I don't know about you, but I don't sit down and talk with my vanilla girlfriends about fisting. I mean, it's not just something we do. So I think, and and too, that the energy that takes place when that's all happening to the point that you can relax like that, your body can actually express itself like that through orgasm or through squirting. I mean, I don't want to ever leave that space. I mean, like that is, that's, that's utopia. I know. And what I really (laughs) liked about the experience I had was, because at that particular time, I was not very experienced with women. As I told you, I learned that while I was yeah. in, the, in the lifestyle. However, um, she was just playing with my pussy. And that's when I was already starting to learn to accept pleasure. And I kind of was laying back on the couch and she took her rings off. And I had no idea if, she, what, if that's what her intention was to start a little with. bottle of lube. And she just started slowly and slowly and further and Very further. sensually. And I, I had no yeah. clue. And when I looked down and I saw her whole fist was inside, I went, holy fuck. I had no idea. I was just loving it. But I had no idea that until I looked and opened my eyes and saw what was going on. That was a super erotic experience. It was very hot. I get what you're saying. Like You can't forget that moment. It's really, really no. cool. And Carol, I can't forget your moment now either. I'm like, I've got chills on my legs. <laughs> I know. It's so great. It's so great. Yeah. So as, as we move along, um, we've spoken <laughs> about kink and BDSM and femdoms and fisting and the lifestyle. Um, we always like asking our guests, um, do you have any fantasies? You know, my fantasy would be I totally enjoy uh, muscular black men. Mm. I've always been drawn to the beautiful skin tone, appreciation of all the work that goes into all of that. Um, and again, the, that large entity, right? There's something magnificent about that. Um, I would love to have multiple partners. And if I may put this title to it is the gangbang um, of like five five men. And um, we've, my husband and I have talked about this because of course this is like just overwhelming to have over, you know, a dinner conversation. It was like, I have to be in this mindset to actually consider this. Um, But, you know, we've already, we've talked down to the details of like, okay, I want to know who these men are. I need to, you know, I've got play partners, like, okay, these three people would be involved. We need to find these two. So that ultimately I think would be the most best afternoon ever like to completely just be in that space with these men who totally adore me and vice versa i'm available um, <laughs> uh, you're wrong skin do the tone. spray tan <laughs> yeah, <spray tan>, perhaps <laughs> yes and that large entity mm, he's Miss, more average i'm missing the arm i have an a, i have the awc the average white cock <laughs> okay okay maybe we could It'll find a different scenario for me well so maybe somebody else wants to have um a gangbang and not with yeah. large darker men yeah. it could be the average white guy red-headed bald man yes exactly well, i used to be a redhead <laughs> but that's awesome <laughs> i love that that you can now does your husband have a fantasy that you talk about as well do you share my husband loves to watch oh. he is one of those who like i will set this stage beautifully to watch my wife in that euphoric state cool. so 
it's anything. It's anything if I have one lover come over. It's another thing if I'm dancing on the pole at Colette's. I love to dance on the pole for people. I like to be watched. Um, so that, I mean, I think he's living this fantasy like almost on a daily basis because it's, this is his, this is what he wants. This is what Beautiful. he loves to do. Beautiful. So yeah, if I'm happy, he's definitely happy. So we are coming to the end of our show, and we've had really a lovely time talking about all this sexy stuff, including your book and all the hard work that you've done over the years. And we do appreciate your all journey, that hard yeah. work and getting through your journey. But if you had some final advice for our listeners, what would you say to any woman who's presently living in a world where they're being sexually abused? How can they make some good choices and get free of that world? I think first, I would like to say you are exactly where you're supposed to be. This is exactly how it was supposed to happen. Whatever this journey is, it, you didn't make wrong choices. This wasn't of your choice. Um, and I guess start talking, start talking because it was, for me, it was, I didn't realize those people in the front seat. I didn't realize they were my angels of that day. I totally didn't. So talk, talk with anybody. You know, and because and, to be honest, I couldn't have gone to the authorities. The authorities didn't do me any justice. So I, I would suggest that, you know, start talking to people, uh, your girlfriends, whether it's whoever. a bartender, a girlfriend, girlfriend. anybody who Absolutely. might be listening. Anybody. Reach out to Jules, um, you know, send us an email. Totally. We'll connect you with some people. Um, there's always somewhere to get help. You're not in it alone. So that's step Absolutely. number one. What else could they do? I was a runner, so I always packed my shit and left. <laughs> so that's what worked for me. Um, I got out of danger because I ran. Okay. I ran. That's and there are many times, mm -hmm. many times I didn't know where I was running to, but I was not going to stay there. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, leave. Yeah. Leave. And we've also uh, found people who have um, gotten into bodybuilding, into different activities where they move themselves into a different group of people, right, a, a different, different community, community mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you have people who are of a better mind um, who can you can talk to, who can help you see things a little bit differently. But, you know, the one thing you don't want to do is just say, I don't have an out. I have to stay here and put up with it. Mm -hmm. And I think finding the people like you just spoke of, for me, that was the end result. What I needed to do was that for me, particularly was that time in the rooms of recovery. That's when I realized that my life was not normal, that you don't drink every day. What do you mean you don't drive and drink? Why? What do you mean? Who doesn't do that? Like, that's what I had to do. I had to do that, that internal stuff to see what did I even want? Yeah. I would have never known that I wanted to be a bodybuilder when I was 15. Right. You know what I mean? So, so that's self-reflection. Now, do you think uh, it would be good advice to get professional help, or is that beyond at this point if there's just now suffering? I think anything is an option. Okay, good. I did a lot. Even while I was while I was in the throes of alcoholism, I, I was able to work with people on a sliding scale. I, I got my medications for free because I got samples. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, again, it's that drive. If there's a will, there is a way. And yeah. don't stop. Wow. Beautiful. Don't stop. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, well, absolutely. Jules, this was an absolutely amazing, um, inspiring uh, discussion. Uh, we wish you the best of luck for your book. It'll be up on our site. We're going to promote it, help you promote it on social media. Well, thank you. Why don't you take a minute and tell everyone how they can find you and, of course, your website and where they're going to be able to buy this amazing book. Uh, you know, my one-stop shop is themakingofawoman.com. On there, you will find all of the areas that I'm at. You'll see the events that I'm at. You'll see all of the social media links that you can connect to. Uh, I have a podcast page on there. You can listen to the various uh, interviews that I've done over the last six, seven months now. Um, that's really your go-to is uh, themakingofawoman.com. Beautiful. And of course, if you missed any of that information, you just have to go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com, where every one of our guests has their own guest page with all of their information. And you can even contact them there if you have any questions about their work. Absolutely. And um, every week, you know, we learn more and more from all our amazing guests. We hope you do too. And if you have any questions at all, you can always send us an email at ask 
at carolandavid.com. Alrighty, that was a super amazing show with an amazing guest. Jules, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Guys, this was a lot of fun. I really appreciate this. Thank you. Our pleasure. And every week we have to especially thank all our listeners for being there week in and week out. Yeah, so join us again next time for another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, sexual health and pleasure, and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny. Well, that's it for our show today. Carol and I send you lots of love and great sex. Please stay safe. And of course, stay sexy, everyone. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever. Sex.